So I, I was just thinking, I was sitting there in the scripture reading, and Jesus Christ talking about two witnesses, and that he, he's a witness of himself, and the Father's a witness of him. Of course, John the Baptist was also, and it was at his baptism when the Father from heaven said, this is my son, my beloved son. So, yeah, he had a witness, and there's no doubt about it. Um, so I want to, if we may, go uh, to Luke chapter 24. I'm going to approach this portion of Scripture uh, maybe slightly differently than the last time we talked about it. I had, um, wasn't too, too long ago, uh, we were here at, at least, uh, I don't know if it was Words of Life or a Devotion one Sunday or what, but I kind of wanted to expand a little bit on a few things. So Luke chapter 24, and we'll start and read verses 1 through 10. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women that were with them which told these things unto the apostles. And so back in verse 1 says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came unto the sepulcher. Verse 10 tells you who they are. They was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and other women that were with them. And they came to prepare the body of Jesus Christ for burial. But I want to concentrate, if we can start, please, in, in verse 5 and 6, words of the angels, the two men in, in uh, shining garments, we know these were angels, and they said as they were, the ladies now, as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth before the two angels, said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. There are many places, especially today, where the dead reside. They were in a place, now I don't know if this, we could call this a cemetery in the classic sense that we think of a cemetery. When you've got rows of dead folks there who were placed there by their relatives, their families. But certainly Jesus, when he was buried, was buried in a place that was prepared for the dead. It might have stood alone, I don't know, but it was prepared for the dead. And so the angel says, why are you seeking the living, Jesus Christ, why do you seek him among the dead? The dead reside here. He is not here, but is risen. And so this is not the only place where we find dead, and that is especially true in our culture today. When I was a child, and I went to school in kindergarten and, and elementary grades especially, in my classrooms, it was not unusual to have the Ten Commandments on the wall somewhere. Amen. They were there. Word of God, bright and bold, on the wall. It was not unusual for us to read those Ten Commandments daily. 
And of course, they, we said the Lord's Prayer as recorded in the Gospel uh, by memory. Everybody had it memorized. Uh, teachers would pray. Teachers had Bibles on their desk. Yes. Today, schools, whether it's kindergarten or university, are places of the dead. You don't find the Word of God. You don't find Jesus Christ taught. You don't find any reference to spiritual things in our schools and universities today. They have become and are now places of the dead. And if you are looking for enlightenment through education, you're on a fool's journey. You're not going to find Jesus Christ. You're not going to find salvation. You're not going to find God. You're not going to find spiritual enlightenment in the educational system of today. At one time, you had Bible-believing teachers. You had Bible-believing professors. But in the last 100 years, especially the last 50 years, it has gone down to almost nothing. This is why Rose and I have Phoebe in a Christian school. We want her to be taught the Word of God at home, at her church, and in her school. We want her exposed to it continually in her life. We don't want people putting idiotic ideas in her head, like men came from apes, that your uncle is is an ape. Men coming with the idea that, oh, you're not a sinner. You're okay. You'll be all right. You know, and besides that, there's probably not even a, a heaven or a hell out there. The Bible's just a book full of fables. We don't want her taught these things. Amen. So we put her in a place where she can find some true Christian teaching and belief. But our schools in general, unless it's a specific school picked out for the purpose, are now places of the dead. You are not going to find life among the places of the dead. Neither in a cemetery. You don't find bums, skid row, homeless, walking through the cemeteries looking for a handout. That comes from living people. You cannot find life or sustenance from places of the dead. Our churches have become places of the dead. The majority, great, great majority of the churches, places of the dead. And one of the biggest scams going today is this thing called the prosperity gospel. There are hundreds of them out there, people who claim to be prophets of God, who claim to be preachers, who claim to be to have the word of God, who claim to have a spiritual enlightenment, who are teaching people this prosperity gospel. A few names you may recognize. Oral Roberts is one. Been doing it for 50 years. Joyce Meyer, Paula White, Creflo Dollar. Now there's a name to match of theology if ever was one. Creflo Dollar and this prosperity gospel. Uh, Benny Hinn, even Joel Osteen. They teach people, if you will give to me, if you will give what little you have, I don't care how small it is, if you will give what you've got to me, God will bless you ten times what you give. If you give to me, God will bless you a hundred times what you give. It's a promise made from the pulpits. They stand up, they shout it, they walk up and down the aisles, they get people worked up into a huge emotional turmoil, and are teaching them that God will return to you tenfold, twentyfold, a hundredfold, whatever you give to me and my church. I got to pay for that plane somehow. 
Right. right? These diamonds on my fingers aren't free. You got to give to me and my cause. These are places of the dead. They have no, no scriptural basis for anything that they teach. They are out for themselves and no one else. Churches, most of them, many of them, and even if they are not this new or this rising and very popular prosperity gospel, it could be some, some of our traditional churches, over time, Methodist, Presbyterian, many, many of them are just as dead as a stone. There's no life in them. You're not going to find life where it doesn't exist. You cannot go to places of the dead and expect to receive spiritual blessings Amen. and spiritual enlightenment. It's not just the cemetery that's the places of the dead anymore. Amen. You cannot depend on your politicians to sustain you. You cannot depend on your government. The halls of Congress today are as much a place of the dead as anywhere else. They make a mockery of the word of God. The national prayer breakfast they have once a year. Start every, uh, every uh, session of Congress with a prayer. They invite some, uh, some preacher in, some priest, some uh, rabbi, somebody to come in and say a prayer. And they go through the pretense. They go through the motions. And there's words, there are words for this. You know, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Our halls of Congress are places of the dead. We are led by the dead. We are ruled by the dead. It's not just the cemeteries anymore. Why seek ye the living among the dead? If you think your government is going to save you, you're looking for the living among the dead, and it's not going to happen. Amen. Continuing on, many of the false prophets of promoting the fake preachers, the healers, uh, they have what they want. They want you to believe about themselves, and that's all you get is what they want you to believe. Not the word of God. Many of them, like Anthony Stanley, just close it up and push it away. They don't care. You know, we don't need that old book. I have what you need. But you cannot get life from that which is dead. I'm sorry, I've lost my place here. Matthew chapter 7. We'll look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, what day? The day of judgment. Well, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And they have done and do many times good works. There is probably not a more, oh, I don't know, an outfit that spends more on charity than the Catholic Church as a single institution. The Catholic charities are all over the world. And this is one of the ways that they draw people in. But they're not teaching them anything. They're not giving them the living water. They're not giving them the word of God. They're bringing them in just to proselytize and eventually try to get the money from them. I remember the testimony of a lady. I wish I could recall her name, but I can't. She was a nun that escaped one of the convents. And I say escaped because literally escaped. 
She was locked in that place. Her life was controlled day and night. She was, she was made to be raped by priests that came to visit just for that purpose. She was made to, to subsist on a, a little small bowl of rice daily. And she escaped that place. And she, there was a place of just total and complete iniquity. And so the same outfit that can claim, oh, look, we have done many wonderful works. We built this orphanage. We built that school. We provided a million meals. We've done all these one of that same place. Underneath is dead. They are dark, and they are in darkness. And that's where they're going to stay. And if you want to be a part of that, if you think you're going to find God there, you need to look again. It's not going to happen. Second Corinthians, please, chapter 11. I've never heard anybody complain. I don't expect I will. And I know among our members here, nobody will ever complain about reading too many scriptures during a message. So uh, we're going, if it's all right, we'll read verses 1 through 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. Paul writing to the church at Corinth. For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted with the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. For I suppose I was not a whit behind the very chiefest apostles. But though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge, but we have been truly made manifest among you in all things. Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye might be exalted? Because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely. I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do your service. And when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no man shall stop me of this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Wherefore, because I love you not, God knoweth. I brought you the truth out of love and not for money and goods. But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to those works. These are the ministers with the multi-million dollar homes and airplanes and jewels. And we go back up to the beginning of the reading in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. Paul is warning them. He says, I worry about you. I'm concerned. There's, in my mind, I see there's a possibility you might well bear with these false apostles. 
And how many of them today are doing exactly that? Church after church after church that is turned away from tradition. And that is a bad word today. Tradition is a horrible word. You say traditions, oh, oh, well, you're just old fogey. You know, old, especially old white man. Old white man, you're automatically a traditionalist. Turned away from tradition. But it is the gospel of Christ that's brought us to where we are today. Amen. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that paid the price for our sin is what got us where we are today. And so many churches have turned away from it. And Paul, back in the first century, saying, I worry about you. You know, I worry that if you hear these things, that you could be turned away. And someone brought up, I was Brother Gum or Brother Derek, the other day, that even Satan does miracles. The snakes in front of Pharaoh with his wizards throwing their staffs down. Moses' snake larger, ate theirs, but still they had the power to create a snake out of their staff. And other miracles like that that had been done by Satan's minions. So Satan has power, and he has power to deceive people and uses it all the time. And Paul going on saying, I robbed other churches taking wages of them to do your service. Now, this is a figure of speech. Paul didn't mean I put a spear to their throat and said, give me your money. But he's saying, I took money, I accepted money from other churches so that I could minister to you. I'm not asking you for anything. I'm not trying to take from you what you have. You don't have to fear me. I'm not coming among you and taking your wealth to myself like they are doing today. He's not begging from them. He's told them over and over. Other people are supporting me. I don't need your money. I just want you to be true to the gospel. Amen. I want you to remember the things I taught you. I want you to turn away from the false teachers, the false prophets, and be true to the word of God. As I mentioned previously, all the popes are dead. They can't save themselves. How are they going to save you? All the popes throughout history, the one that's living today, more than one, I don't know, but the one that sits up there, the Russian Orthodox got their own pope, don't they? They, sit there, they can't save you. They're living now, but they can't save you. They're going to die just like a hundred others before them. They can't save you. Joseph Smith died. He started the Mormon church. He can't save you. Whoever the, what do they call themselves? High priest? I don't know what they call themselves in the Mormon church out there in Utah. Apostle, okay. The head apostle of the Mormon church, the uh, tabernacle in Utah. They, he can't save He can't save himself. How's he going to save you? Amen. Not going to happen. You cannot look to the dead or the dying for salvation. And I recall looking at 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. We're not going to turn there. All the spiritual gifts that people talk about today. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 chapters explain in detail what the spiritual gifts are, where they come from, what their purpose is, what their purposes are. Things like the gift of tongues. And I was, uh, uh, Rose and Phoebe were doing whatever they, whatever they were doing, and I was watching a YouTube video about these fake apostles, these fake preachers. And just the gibberish that falls out of their mouth, one of them explained it. He explained it to the congregation. He said, okay, so this is how you do it. This is how you talk in spiritual language. You talk like a baby. Ga, ga, goo, goo, blah, blah. You do it fast. 
You emphasize certain syllables, and then he started just jabbering away. And then another one who was on the stage with him started jabbering back at him. What, what a joke. Clowns, clowns. And people are cheering and clapping and raising hands and saying, praise the Lord. It's not the Lord's not the author of that mess. Amen. And it's not God who's the author of that mess. It's Satan who's the author of chaos, and that's all it is. Just total chaos. If you want to know about spiritual gifts, you go to 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. We're meant to preach the word, not sing kumbaya, sway in unison, raising our hands to get a good feeling inside our hearts, to make ourselves feel good, like we're doing something meaningful. It's not meaningful. It's trash. Amen. And in the eyes of God, it is evil, period. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, please, verses 17 through 21. Paul writes, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect, not with the wisdom of words. Where do we get that from? The educated dummies is where it comes from. They think they're smart. And I want to throw this in. It won't cost you anything, because I think some of you probably have heard of him. You know the name Jordan Peterson? This professor from Canada that's been thrown out of one school or another. Anyway, he's become hugely, hugely popular. He claims to have found God. He claims to that, you know, that he has a spiritual life now. And he's just as blind as he ever was. I don't, I don't get it. I just don't. I don't know where these people come up with this stuff. Verse 18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the educated masses, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. The wisdom of the world will lead you straight to hell. Amen. The smarter you are, it seems like the dumber you get spiritually. I don't know, and it doesn't have to be that way. There are, no doubt, there are some smart people who have been saved throughout history and are saved now. There are some wealthy people throughout history that have been saved and are saved now. But there are very few, very far between, and they are the exception. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them, save them that believe. And that's the way the world looks at us, as fools, as idiots. Oh, man, look at those dummies over there. They think God's going to save them. They think there's an afterlife. <laughs> you know, uh, when you die, you just die. That's it. That's it. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Today is the day. It was in Paul's time and it is still and getting worse all the time. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Not the teachers, those who are the seekers having itching ears. They want to hear something that pleases them. 
They want to hear something that makes sense in their own philosophy, in their own theology. They want to hear things that make them feel good. Not the teachers that have the itching ears, but the students or those who claim to be the lookers. And verse 4, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned into fables. Is that more true today than ever before? Fables, that's what you hear everywhere you go. And it's that many, many are just perversions of the word of God. They make a mockery of the word of God. James chapter 1, verse 22. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man, beholding his natural face in a glass. And when I... Oops, sorry. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Nobody wants to be a doer anymore. And I say nobody. I don't mean our friends and our brothers and sisters here. The world at large. They don't want to be doers. They want to go. I've got a man that used to be my boss. He attends this Southland community can't call it a church. Southland Community Center. You, have you all passed it? Coming in and out down uh, 68, is it? 68 there. This big, huge campus, monstrous church. Got many, many buildings and ponds and athletic fields in the back and all that. He goes to that church type. He goes there because he doesn't want to be a doer. He doesn't want to be called upon. He wants to sneak in, sit down, get a little lesson, and walk out feeling better about himself. And I'm sure he does, because the message that's preached there has got to be one of, oh, I'm okay, you're okay, right? If they told the truth, they wouldn't have a dollar to spend on that campus. It takes more to heat that winter than uh, 10 years, probably. That's a huge, huge campus out there. And it took a multi, multi-millions of dollars to build that place. And yet people go there, many of them, they want to be anonymous. They want to sit in the crowd and not be noticed. Said, be ye doers. God didn't save you to sit and do nothing. He didn't save you to sit on the stump and do nothing and whittle on the stick and do less. He saved you for a purpose. This young man, he's in his 40s, but to me he's young. I'm young to you, right? (laughs) Okay. So, young man, he claims, tells me, yeah, I was saved when I was a child. He has no doubt about his salvation. He absolutely has no doubt about it. But he's in his middle to late 40s. He's strung out on meth all the time. He has never been a doer. Never. And I've got to, I ask, I've got to hold, get him to hold up a mirror. This, is this who you're talking about? This guy? Do you think God saved you so that you could be a meth head? Do you think that God saved you so you could do nothing? God doesn't save people to sit still. Paul says, be ye doers of the word. Not just hearers, but doers. James chapter 2, verse 15. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith 
by my works. Now believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Even the devils believe there is one God and tremble at the name of God. People, they, they don't tremble. They don't have the sense of demons of God. To tremble, wilt thou man, oh, but thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God." Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Don't tell me that you're a Christian and live like the devil. Amen. It doesn't work that way. God does not save us until evil deeds. He does not do it. You cannot. He, Paul said, James says, show me. Show me your faith by your works. God says, show me your faith by your works. If you love me, keep my commandments. Amen. If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus says. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, extended his love towards us. It was an act. Love is not a feeling. Love is an action. Jesus Christ Amen. loved. He made the ultimate sacrifice in love because he loved us. Not because he thought we were pretty good old folks that needed a helping hand. That's not it at all. He loved us. And he knew he was the only one able to make that sacrifice. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 53. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Outside of that, there is no life. There is no, no immortality unless the, unless the mortal puts on immortality. And it has to be incorruptible. If you cannot enter heaven in a corrupt state, you cannot enter heaven on your own deeds. If you rely on your own deeds, you are lost and gone and there's no turning back. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. This corruptible shall have put on incorruption. Amen. Not on its own, not by itself, not of its own power, but through the love of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made in love for his people. For his people. Got to hurry a little bit. I thought I'd be, I'd be too short, but I may go long. <laughs> Sorry, Brother Tim, you have to late supper tonight. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the former way of life, the former walk that you had in this world, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Paul telling the Ephesians, put away the old man, put away the corruptible life you used to live, walk a new walk, live a new life, be a follower of God, be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. Like the young man I was talking about earlier. Don't tell me you're saved 
and never, ever once showed the first evidence of it. Paul tells us in Ephesians about the fruits of the Spirit. You don't have them. How can anybody believe that you're saved? Why would anybody believe that you're saved? And I know we're not people's judge. I get that. But I hear about a death, especially sometimes I hear about a death of a famous person somewhere, and I think to my old boy, but it was another one screaming in hell, wanting to know how he got there and why. Well, he won't wonder long because the truth will hit him right in the face, right in the face. He refused God, refused Jesus Christ, and then rose today. She went to the funeral, this little baby I told you about Sunday that had died. That little baby is as happy as he can be right now. That little baby is with Jesus Christ. Amen. And if that family wants to see that little baby again, they need to be right with God. Amen. Turn, please, look with me. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. From scriptures familiar to all of us. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I read earlier that for by one man sin entered into the world. And that sin is here. Now Paul says for all have sinned. Everybody has sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's you, me, that's everybody. And I don't care what your philosophy is. I don't, it doesn't matter what your theology is. You have sinned and come short of God's glory. Turning over to Romans chapter 6, verse 23. What's the result of that sin? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what is Paul saying here? What does that mean? For the wages of sin is death. What does it mean to earn a wage on your job? You flip burgers at McDonald's. 12, 14, 15, whatever dollars an hour. You earned a wage. You earned it. You got what you deserve when you get your paycheck. You're a plumber. What do you get? 50, 60, 75, whatever dollar. They charge you $100 just to start their truck and come out towards your house. All right? But they've earned it. They come out and fix your problem, and you've agreed to pay them for the work they've done. They've earned their wage. Brothers and sisters, and if you're hearing this anywhere else, the Internet or whatever, if, if we are so blessed to, to be able to get the word out to others, if you're hearing this, it said the wages of sin is death. You earned it. You earned it. That's your wage for your sinful life. And it's not Adam's fault that you're a sinner. It's your fault. You're the one that sinned. Adam didn't sin for you. Sin entered the world through Adam. But our sins are our own. We earned the wages that sin cost. And that cost is always death. Sin will earn you nothing but death. And that debt, the death, has got to be paid. You can do it, or Christ can do it for you. You can do it, or Christ has done it for you. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And lastly, Romans chapter 5, we were here once before. Let's look again. Verse 8, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Christ died so we don't have to pay the wages of sin. Amen. And God is a sure 
and certain promise. If he says you earned it, you're going to get it. Amen. You are going to get either what you earn or you're going to get what Christ has earned on your behalf. I thank God for Jesus Christ, my Savior. I thank Amen. God that he paid the debt so that I don't have to. Amen. You cannot find the living among the dead. Amen. You can't count on anybody in a cemetery. You can't count on your schools. You can't count on your churches. You can't count on your politicians. There is only one, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. That is where salvation lies, Amen. and that is the only way. You can't do good enough on your own. Your wages have earned you a death sentence. May God bless the reading of the word and the message this evening.